I'm Jim Juno, and this is Lights, Camera, Author. The Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine is the latest installment in the Beatles' album series by Beatles historian Bruce Beiser. The book covers the songs and projects undertaken by the Beatles shortly after the completion of their album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in April 1967. In the following 10 months, the group wrote and recorded the song All You Need Is Love for the Our World TV program that was broadcast by satellite throughout the world, wrote the songs for and filmed the TV spectacular Magical Mystery Tour, wrote the songs for their feature-length cartoon film Yellow Submarine, and recorded the songs Lady Madonna and Across the Universe before heading to India to study Transcendental Meditation to mid-February 1968. The book covers these remarkable achievements from the British, American, and Canadian perspectives and includes chapters on the packaging of the albums and the writing and recording of the songs. And I talked to Bruce Beiser about the book, The Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine. Bruce Beiser, you have a new book out called The Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine, or should I say a new edition of this book? Uh, well, it's actually a new book. It's part of what I call the Beatles album series that I've been doing. I started it with uh, Sergeant Pepper because it was the 50th anniversary of Sergeant Pepper. And I'd written this really groovy article about Sergeant Pepper and thought, where can I get it published? And I thought, well, you know, I love Beatle Fan Magazine, but it's not going to allow me to have a bunch of beautiful full color pictures. And I thought, you know, maybe I could put out my own magazine. And then I thought, wait a minute, I don't know how to put out a magazine, but I know how to publish a book. So I went ahead and got this idea that I would do a book and I was going to do the book from a fan's perspective. And that was the whole idea behind the Beatles album series would be that we would take a look at a particular album from the standpoint of, you know, how was the album received in the United States when it first came out, not what people thought about it 50 years later. And how was it received in the UK? Uh, I got a buddy of mine, Pierce Hemmingson, to write about how it was received in Canada. I realized to make my deadline, I couldn't do it by myself. So it was a case of getting, you know, get by with a little help from my friends, as it were. <laughs> I got Bill King from Beetle Fan to help out, Al Sussman from Beetle Fan, and Frank Daniels, who co-offered the Beatles for sale on Parlophone book with me and put together this team. And we did this book on Sergeant Pepper, where the intro sections talked about, um, you know, what we talked about before, the different perspectives, talked about what was going on in the world, what was going on in music at that time or film, and then how the songs were written and recorded. But the middle section of the book is what I call fan recollections and just got everyday people to write in and and say what Sergeant Pepper meant to them, how they, you know, they listened to the album with their parents or things like that, really touching stories. And then because musicians are fans too, we had some fan recollections from some special people, two of who unfortunately are no longer with us, Pat Denizio of the Smithereens and Peter Tork of the Monkees. Yeah. And then also Billy Joel contributed a wonderful fan recollection about the first, first time he heard Sergeant Pepper. So between that and just people who were, you know, teenagers when the album came out and all, or even second and third generation fans, it was a part of the book that I really liked a lot. And people said, well, of course, Bruce, you have to do a white album book. And 
okay, the White Album's my favorite album. So then I did a White Album book. And when the White Album book came out, people were like, well, this is a series, Bruce. Abbey Road has to be next. So, of course, Abbey Road. And then I did the book, The Beatles Finally Let It Be. And I love that title. Did that book. And uh, then after that, I thought, well, what needs to be done? And that was to me, I always felt that what I like to call the Beatles post pepper productive period. And that would be Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine. And the more research I did, the more and more I was convinced that I was right doing those projects together. Because actually the Yellow Submarine album was supposed to come out ahead of the White Album. But Paul's thinking was, look, we really don't want the follow-up to Sgt. Pepper to be the Yellow Submarine soundtrack album. So that's why it was pushed back until after the White Album. Now, Magical Mystery Tour, that's always been one of my favorite. It's, I mean, it's not really an album here in the United States. It came out as an EP. Or it came out as an LP here in the States, an yes. EP in British. That's correct. Uh, and, um, but, it, you know, that had, that had just a limited number of songs, though, didn't it? Well, the EP itself was six songs, which is why they couldn't do an LP out of it in the UK. But Capitol said, look, you know, we're used to putting singles on albums. So what Capitol did was side one were the six Magical Mystery Tour songs. And side two, I mean, Hello, Goodbye, Strawberry Fields Forever, Penny Lane, Baby, You're a Rich Man, All You Need Is Love. What a brilliant album. And the other nice thing about it was that the running order that Capital did makes a lot more sense than the EP. So Capital had a superior running order. It also was 12 by 12 rather than seven by seven. So the booklet's bigger. Yeah. And think about it, if you're living in the UK and you buy the EP and you buy the 45s that Capital put on that album, you probably have to get out of your easy chair and head to the turntable mm -hmm. about six or seven times, maybe even more, Whereas the LP, you play side one, you get up, you turn it over, you play side two. And eventually the Brits realized Capital got that one right. And, you know, eventually in the UK, the EP was phased out and the LP came out. Now, I, I remember reading about when the when Magical Mystery Tour first came on TV over in Britain. Yeah. And let's face it, this was a psychedelic uh, show. But uh, originally it came out in black and white. Well, look, let's, let's, yeah, let's look, it, it got lambasted by the critics and the yeah. BBC showed it in black and white. And a week later on BBC two showed it in color and everyone lambasts the BBC. It's easy to do that. So I talked to a buddy of mine in the UK, Gary Marsh, wonderful guy. Yeah. And what Gary told me was Bruce, you know, cause I, my question was Gary, when it was rebroadcast in color on the BBC, did you see it in color that night? He said, I saw it in black and white, Bruce. He says, do you know who had color TVs in the UK in 1967? The Beatles and the Queen and not many others. <laughs> so the point being, it's unfair to lambast the BBC for showing it in black and white, because quite frankly, if they had showed it in color, everyone, you know, 95 percent of the population would have seen it in black and white. Exactly. I mean, and the colors are and especially colors in not just. Um, magical mystery tour, but also in Yellow Submarine. I can't imagine Ooh, seeing yeah. Yellow Submarine in black and white. I mean, oh, but, but here's yeah. the thing, and you're right, the critics lambasted mm -hmm. Magical Mystery Tour in the UK. However, the critics in the UK raved about Yellow Submarine, and even the big newspapers, The Sun, The London Observer, were making comments like this is something that would be sat you know, satisfactory. 
for young teenagers and people going to the Tate Gallery. What they were saying was this, was this film was a work of art. It used animation techniques that hadn't been used before. It was pop art, it was psychedelic art. It was all kinds of different things, Dada, you name it. It was that. It was an absolutely brilliant film that nobody was expecting to be absolutely brilliant. See, and that's the amazing thing is that, and even the Beatles did not have much faith in no, no, Yellow they Summer. didn't. And one of the reviews, and I think it might have been the LA Times, it was one of the US reviews, and, and someone in the UK might have made the same observation. And that was that it was incredible, the genius of what the Beatles can do themselves and even inspire others to do. So while the Beatles didn't do the art for this film, their inspiration that launched this film made it so incredible. That's amazing. Now, I'm going to jump back to a magical mystery tour for a second because sure. you know that came right after uh, Sergeant Pepper's. Yeah. <laughs> there was no pressure on the Beatles after, after that. You know, no, no, let, let, let's put it in proper perspective. The Beatles finish Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. They've won the Super Bowl of rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> they go to Disneyland. In Paul's case, he goes to the United States and visits Shane Asher. And rather than having an off-season to relax, they come back in full pads and do two-a-days. That, that would be like if an NFL team did that. They're back in the studio recording the songs for Yellow Submarine. They're back in the studio recording songs for Magical Mystery Tour, a film that they're going to cast, they're going to direct, they're going to produce, they're going to do the music, they're going to do, they're going to edit, they're going to do everything for this film. And that's really the, you know, the remarkable thing about it. Uh, you know, and, you know, there was no rest for the weary, as they say. They yeah. just kept on going, oh, yeah. And by the way, they also did a song for a worldwide satellite broadcast that's called right. All You Need Is Love. So just a tremendous amount of things that the Beatles were doing at that time. And then they had to also deal with the death of uh, Brian Epstein during yes, that same they time. Did. And it did. And they were getting into the Maharishi and Transcendental Meditation. And their plan originally was to, you know, to go to India to learn it more. And John stated that the death of Brian made it seem even more important to do these things. But there's a great quote by John in the book that I have. And the gist of it is he says, well, you know, all we're going to do is, you know, make a film, do a TV show, record an album, you know, like it's nothing, you know, another day in the life of the Beatles, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you read it and it's, it's just remarkable. As I said, the sports comparison will be an NFL team after the Super Bowl, you know, after a break of a couple of weeks, starting practice again. My gosh. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. And the output, but the quality of the output did not suffer. No, no. That's the amazing part is that, yeah. you know, and there was probably some internal strife going on at that time. Well, with, I think the death of Brian was a traumatic event for the Beatles. I don't think there was much internal strife just yet, but John understood it. And, and I'm going to say it with a British accent, so I'm not cursing. That's okay. And what John told Alistair Taylor after the death of Brian, he, he turned to Alistair, who was, you know, that Mr. Fixer who worked for Brian and helped the Beatles. He said, we fucking had it. Yeah. <laughs> John knew that without Brian, this was, even though the Beatles by that point were telling Brian what they wanted done, they knew that Brian was the glue that kind of held things together. Amazing. And now, now let's, I want to talk about one song um, on the Magical Mystery Tour. Now, I, I mean, I love the Magical Mystery Tour title track, the one, and it, they start, and McCartney started that just with one line. Yeah. You know. Well, the thing is, if you, and once again, in the book, <clears throat> 
I um, go back to some quotes from Mao's diary from the Beatles book fan magazine. Mm -hmm. And in it, when Paul, right after Pepper, is visiting Jane Asher, you know, he has this idea for this TV spectacular. And Mal even has in there, you know, roll up for the grand mystery trip. And so, you know, there it is. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how quick Paul got the idea for it and comes up with the title track while on vacation visiting Jane Asher. Now, the, the song that, that really stuck out to me was when I was reading your book was uh, The Fool on the Hill, because oh. um, if, now, correct me if I'm wrong, this was something McCartney said that he and a friend was, were, were walking in London and, and they met somebody who just seemed to appear out of nowhere and commented on the lovely view from the hill or something like that. Am I right in that? Um, that's not a story that I'm all that familiar with, and it may be to it, but the thing about Fool on the Hill is Paul intended that this be part of the Magical Mystery Tour from the very beginning. Oh, I think it was on the plane. He drew kind of like a pie chart mm -hmm. of what this TV show was going to have, and, and he has a one-place song, and he has Dash, Fool on the Hill, question mark. So Paul was planning on working it in. One of the other things that I have in the book is a lovely picture of the Beatles, a color picture of the Beatles at Abbey Road. You don't see a lot of those. A professional color picture of the Beatles in Abbey Road rehearsing Fool on the Hill around the piano. Paul's at the piano. He has the recorder. John's on acoustic guitar. And George and Ringo are in the frame. And they're talking about the recording they're going to do for Fool on the Hill. Amazing. Now, do you have a favorite of all these, let's talk first Magical Mystery Tour and then Yellow Submarine. Um, you know, I really love the song, The Fool on the Hill. Mm -hmm. I also love I Am the Walrus. I just think it is, <laughs> you know, such an incredible track. Now, now, this was also the birth of The Paul is Dead. Uh, yeah, it kind of sprung from that a little bit. You know, I mean, look. We, we, we Look, have me back another time and we'll do a full-blown Paul is Dead. <laughs> but it got to the point where, oh, there's a hand above Paul's head. That means he's dead, you know? And, you he's know, wearing you a black to, carnation instead of yeah, a red a black one. carnation. <laughs> and if you listen to the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, which is not a magical mystery tour, but it's on the Capitol album that John says, I buried Paul. Well, <laughs> he really says cranberry sauce. But if you want to hear I buried Paul, I guess you hear I buried Paul. <laughs> I want to have you back and we're going to talk about that for, because in November. That'll be a fun one. Not November. that this isn't fun. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, I, I would love to have you back because I know in, the, in that, that Paul is Dead started in November, I believe, of 1966. So we're, uh, we're coming up on that. So we'll have you back in November to do a whole show on that. But um, the, uh, then after Magical Mystery Tour, they, again, they go right back. They go in front of TV, do, do the, the film, the TV film. And then yep. they go back into the studio and do Yellow Submarine. Well, and actually, the Yellow Submarine songs were recorded before Magical Mystery Tour, oh, that's right. for the most yeah, part. Right. Yeah. So let's kind of get the chronological order. They come back and they knock out, you know, some song. They First of all, they take uh, what are George's songs, only a Northern song, which was a Pepper right. reject, and they finish that off. And then they work on, you know, another George song, It's All Too Much, and Paul's All Together Now. And they also do Baby, You're a Rich Man. They, were, they needed four new songs for the film. They've done the four songs. They mess around with, you know my name, look up the number. And they're feeling pretty good about that project. They've done what they're supposed to do. They find out that 
um, you know, that the BBC is going to be part of a, actually the BBC is behind this, a worldwide broadcast. And, you know, different 24 different countries participating the whole bit. Mm-hmm. And the Beatles are going to be the contributor, one of the contributors for the United Kingdom. And they're going to be filmed live in the studio, finishing up one of their new songs. And because it's going to be worldwide. Uh-oh. And it needs to be a simple song with a simple message, simple lyrics. John comes up with all you need is love. I mean, when they did A Hard Day's Night, the film's called A Hard Day's Night. John, we need a song called A Hard Day's Night. Boom. Song Boom, called Help. We need a song called Help. Boom. We need a simple song with a simple message for a TV broadcast throughout the world. All you need is love. Brilliant. So, so that's what they come up with. Then they work on Magical Mystery Tour. And then they finally are getting ready to go see the Maharishi. And so before leaving for the Maharishi, they want to put out a single and they go into the studio and Paul has this nifty little tune, Lady Madonna, that's inspired by something he saw on National Geographic. And in the book, there's a picture of the page in National Geographic. And it's this woman and she literally has a baby at her breast. And the caption of it is Mountain Madonna with child at her breast. And that's wow. Paul turns it into rather than Mountain Madonna, Lady Madonna. And he uses music uh, inspired by Bad Penny Blues, a trad jazz song from Liverpool back on the Parlophone label, I think from 1956. So he has Lady Madonna. Uh, John has a song all you know across the universe, and they work on that. And George, while he was in India working on the soundtrack for Wonderwall, recorded a lovely musical track for a song that he's written. And all they need to do in Abbey Road is do the vocals for it. So he, John, and Paul put the vocals on the track in the, the inner light. And so they're sitting up in the control booth on, I think it's February 8th of 68. And John says, you know, I don't like the way Across the Universe sounds. And uh, Paul says, okay, well, look, we'll do Lady Madonna as our A side. And George's the inner light can be the B side. And Spike Milligan happens to be visiting George Martin and he's in the booth and he's saying, look, you know, I'm going to be putting together this charity album for the World Wildlife Fund. And I'm looking for contributions. And John, if you don't want to cross the universe, can I have it for my album? And John says, yeah, take it. (laughs) Spike Milligan can't believe his good fortune. So he and George Martin, to make it, special for this album at that time on February 8th, put the bird sound effects at the beginning of Across the Universe. Now, I didn't know that till I started researching writing the book, (laughs) but that's when that was added. All right. So in the meantime, the Beatles are told you need to show up at the studio because we want you to mime Lady Madonna for a promotional video. And the purpose that day, you know, is going to be just to do that. Well, they find out that they're a, sh- a song short for Yellow Submarine. Why? Remember, Baby, You're a Rich Man was going to be in the film, mm-hmm. but they needed a B-side for All You Need Is Love, which they were rushing out as their next single. And they used Baby, You're a Rich Man for that. John says, look, I got this little song. And they knock out Hey Bulldog. And so the Beatles are filmed performing Hey Bulldog. And it's edited in such a way that it looks like they're doing Lady Madonna. Yeah. But if you watch it, they're clearly not doing Lady Madonna. <laughs> now, wasn't, that airs. wasn't it originally Hey Bullfrog? Well, you know, Hey Bullfrog, it really was You Can't Talk to Me. Yeah. So it evolves as a demo of John doing You Can Talk to Me. 
So it evolves into this whole thing. But, you know, Paul kind of gets this, you know, the, the sound effects going and it becomes, of course, hey, Bulldog. <laughs> George plays a really mean lead guitar. And it, Paul in the video, you can see Paul's playing double tambourine and he overdubs his bass part later. You know, it's amazing that, and I, I'm not sure this is true, but I read that, um, that uh, all together now, they wrote that and they recorded it all in five hours. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very simple song. I mean, it was added to the end of, of Yellow Submarine. And, um, and I th the, Beatles, the, the Beatles went from not wanting to have anything to do with Yellow Submarine to actually being in the movie at the very end. At the very end, yeah. And, and there's a big misconception where people think that the Beatles, um, you know, that this was going to be the fulfillment of the United Artists contract. It's not, no. um, you know, it basically United Artists. I interviewed David Pickard of United Artists and he said, the Beatles are in it for like 90 seconds at the end. You still owe us a film, but we'll be happy to distribute it. And when Let It Be came around, they realized there's not going to ever be another Hard Day's Night or Help. So they agreed that Let It Be would be the final and third film of the contract. I see. Okay. So that's so a you, big misconception. Yeah. And I can, I can see the film uh, distribution company's uh, point, uh, but you know, you're in there for 90 seconds, guys, come on. Um, but I understand the Beatles too. I mean, they, you know, they're, <laughs> they're not exactly sitting around on their hands at this time. No, no. Now tell me something about uh, what initially, what initially back in the very beginning, before you even started writing about the Beatles, what got you interested in this music? Well, I was my background. I'm from New Orleans. Yeah. And, you know, and I loved radio. Uh, top 40 was king in those days. And I was a big fan of WTIX. Wouldn't be caught dead listening to rival WNOE. <laughs> and WTIX played also a lot of great rhythm and blues music. We'd have stuff like, you know, not just Ernie Cato, but we'd have Irma Thomas and Chris Kenner and things that, the, you know, Larry Williams, things that the Beatles were influenced by as well, Fats Domino. You might hear Fats Domino and Frank Sinatra back to back in New Orleans radio in those days. My favorite group, though, was the Coasters. Oh, and really? I, okay. And, I, you know, I love the Coasters. And I noticed when a kid, I, I was a kid, I would read the liner notes. Oh, the, you know, songs are written by most of them by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Mm -hmm. But when I got Meet the Beatles as a kid in February of 64, it was like, Oh my God, most of the songs are written by Lennon McCartney and they're in the group. How cool is that? <laughs> but for me, it was hearing I Want to Hold Your Hand on the Newman School Bus Radio in early, early, early January and just being blown away by the song. And then hearing it, of course, very regularly on WTIX. Yeah, I grew up blown away by it. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. There was a radio station called WKLO, mm -hmm. um, which played Top 40. Yeah. And we were listening to it, and I, I remember hearing She Loves You. Uh-huh. And nobody knew who this group was. Right. And um, I remember the DJ to this day. I remember the DJ saying, well, it was a hit over there in England. I don't know what it's going to do here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well. Well, it's like, you know, I wish I would. But that's 60 years ago now. Yeah, when, I mean, I remember hearing... Um, you know, right after I want to hold you and you start hearing she loves you, please, please me. And then, you know, I want to be your man by Ringo because Ringo was the most popular Beatle in the United States. Oh, yeah. I mean, act naturally. I mean, that was that I was, was going to be the A side of yesterday. Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> I mean, I can I can just yeah, imagine now, that. In, in the Beatles album series, when I get up to the Help album, uh, I'll have a wonderful little story about that as well. All right. Well, let me ask you one another thing. Um, Saturday morning cartoons, the Beatles, yeah. the Beatles cartoon uh, series. Are you a fan or are you not a fan? I loved watching them as a kid. I understand uh, their stereotype to a certain extent. They <laughs> might be, we would say, racist, uh, you know, and all kind of other things, oh, politically yeah. incorrect. Uh, I believe they should be reissued, cleaned up with an introduction saying these were in a different era. Yeah. And let's not be offended by them. Let's sit back, relax and enjoy them. Now, anyone who saw the Beatles cartoons, when they saw Yellow Submarine, they wouldn't have known what hit them because it was the same <laughs> production company, King Features. That's, and, yeah. you know, the Beatle cartoons were knocked out quickly. Uh, you had two different actors doing the Beatles, and they were using what would best be described as Americanized British accents. Oh, yeah. And it was done deliberately because can you imagine, you know, Children in the U.S. understanding a Scouse accent. I don't think that a Liverpool accent can be understood by kids in London sometimes, much less in the U.S. Now, the Beatles also had a friendly rivalry between them and the Rolling Stones. Which group was that? The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. Remember that? Uh, no, no, I'm just joking. I, <laughs> I, I see your dog shaking his head in the background. <laughs> this is Jules, the movie hound. She is, there you go. She is always on watching over me and stuff. I can know, understand so. that. You mentioned Rolling Stones. That got his attention. <laughs> anyway, there is a chapter in the book about the friendly rivalry between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones that my good buddy Frank Daniels contributed to the book. Yeah, Jules was saying, don't ask him about the Rolling Stones. Don't ask him. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, okay. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's telling me she goes. It's almost a half hour now. You know, you got she's got a she's got an uncanny sense of timing. So uh, <laughs> what? Let's see, but she's watching over us here. But um, I mean, this is really it was really a fun read when when you you know it, not only American, which is what I'm aware of, but the Beatles from the, from the British standpoint, from the Canadian standpoint, mm -hmm. and people don't realize how different, even though they are a uh, common country or uh, so to speak uh canadian and british totally different taste oh absolutely you know and that that kind of that kind of caught me off guard when i was reading that yeah i mean that's that's the great thing about the book is also you get these fan recollections you get people from france from switzerland and uh, almost every book i have has had a fan recollection from somebody from either russia or one of the former soviet union countries and that's mm -hmm. always fascinating to hear how things were back in the USSR back in the day. <laughs> and they, um, they, did you see the movie yesterday? Yes, I did. Did you, did you like it? I did. I enjoyed it. Um, and it was similar to a concept I had of a parallel world where somebody goes there. And in my idea, it was where there, you know, there are no Beatles. It's a very similar plot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he goes ahead and, uh, you know, becomes sort of the fill in the gap. So the movie's very similar to an idea I have, but I'm not suing anybody because I didn't give my idea to anybody. But I, did have, a, I did have a similar, similar ideas and concepts of that. And uh, in one of the ideas of stories that I wrote in the book, The Beatles Are Coming, is one where the Beatles, because of fake working out, don't make it big. So, I mean, they're all kind of crazy things. And as yeah. I tell people, imagine if the Beatles had passed the DECA audition and the first single was Love of the Love back with, you know, 
the Sheik of Araby. You know, we may still mm-hmm. have been listening to Bobby Darren the entire 60s. And that may <laughs> not have been a British invasion. That's so. true. That's true. Well, the book is Beatles Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine. The Beatles there album right there. Is there. there it is. Bruce Beiser is the author. Bruce, it's been a lot of fun talking to it's been you. a lot of fun. And people can find out more about me and my books at a very easy website to remember. Beetle.net. So no S on it, just Beetle.net. Very simple. Learn about the books. And the, the next book in the Beatles album series will be called The Beatles Revolver. Actually, it's called The Beatles Rubber Soul 2 Revolver. So it will have Rubber Soul Revolver and Yesterday and Today, which means it will have an extensive chapter on, you guessed it, the butcher cover. All right. The one, the Beatles for so sale. I'll have to come back on your show and talk about that too, I'm afraid. When is that coming out? It's going to officially come out October 10th. Oh, but yeah, if you go to the website, it's back. available. You can order it now through the website, but its official street date is October 10th. Fantastic. Well, Bruce, thank you for being on Light the Camera Author. Well, I love to be on it. That was a good time. And it's kind of fun seeing what can arrive in the background when people have you on. <laughs> no screaming baby, just an intelligent dog. The Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine is written by Bruce Beiser and published by Image and Wonder. Until next time, I'm Jim Juno, and this has been Light Camera Author.